0: Welcome to the Board Game Snobs podcast. Critically harsh reviews with a touch of class. Hello, people of the world. This is Board Game Snobs. And this is your favorite snob, Enrique.
1: I like how you had to I pause like to think of, of breath, your name. Long <laughs> into coming into it. what is my <laughs> name? Who am I? Searching. No, dramatic searching. pause. That was not a dramatic pause. It, it was, was a dramatic pause. pause. What's, what's your idea of a dramatic pause? Just
0: like when you're getting into, just before a, a buildup. A hound dog performing
2: Shakespeare. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I knew him, Rufus. <laughs> <laughs> is it Done. That well, was the that worst was the, intro. Yeah. Oh
2: my god! Well, yeah. Hey, wait, 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 wait. What? Are you a fan of the board game snobs? Would you like to wear our clothing? Literally, well, not my clothing. It
1: is our clothing.
2: Not my. <laughs> they. They, they technically our are. Are you 4 XL? You can wear my clothing. I'll send you a
1: pair of khakis. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Would you like to have a shirt? Are you a fanatic of the board game snobs? You can have T-shirts now. From SirMeeple.com. That's right. Check out SirMeeple.com. If you're not a fan of the show, hey, you probably wouldn't be listening. Or maybe this is your first time listening and you're fixing to be a fan. You're lacking habiliments. You're fixing to get addicted like most of Northeast Texas to methamphetamines. You need a shirt. You can say, I support the snobs by wearing our shirts. Go to SirMeeple.com. Look under Creators. That's where we're at.
1: SirMeeple.com. That was a really good commercial for sir meeple mm-hmm.
2: you're welcome N- nathan
1: i can't remember <laughs> is that his name i don't know i just i feel bad because at some point in time like six months ago he contacted us saying can i put your name on some shirts and sell them and i was like no don't and then now like tim, tim. Hey, sorry tim yeah, tim <laughs> kulinich that's not how you pronounce that
2: and I Asked him. And that that's not how you say that. Colin Cullen, Colinich.
1: Ah, that doesn't sound generic. No, I
2: asked for his phonetic spelling. Colinich. Colinich. Colinich.
1: This is for the email episode. Oh yeah. Uh, this episode and interview. Yes. This, yeah. This interview that I did. Hang on. Let me. Although pull, I don't know
2: how the interview sounds because I wasn't there, and Jerry says the microphone was blowing up. So who knows? The
1: interview went wild. It was off the chain. Max Robin. Maximum Robin. Maximus Robinness. I am at
2: 100% Robin. Uh, uh, we need Robin! Where's he at? I'm here. We need all of you Robin. I am at Max Robin. I wanted you to do that with that person.
1: I couldn't do it.
2: You didn't? No, didn't. Did you ask him if his Max was short for Maximum?
1: I did, and we have an interesting conversation regarding <laughs> that. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. But Max Robin, real name pending... Uh, is the designer of Nova Lux and Impendium which is on Kickstarter right now and you need to go on there and look at it because it has a solo version and it looks actually really good but the interview was mainly about how you would bring a game onto Kickstarter and design a game and produce a game and so forth and he's very nice despite the fact that he has several different belts of varying colors in martial arts he knows how to choke people There's a lot of us talking about choking people Oh the yes the old choke out the old choke out and it got yeah max was very nice when would you when would you need to choke somebody out uh well yeah you, you what if you need to subdue somebody without hitting them you know have you ever punched somebody you've never, never punched never in somebody? my no. life i'm oh. a man of love and peace but well, as somebody who used to box on an amateur level <laughs> I could tell you punching somebody <laughs> of course, you did punching somebody is hard. oh my really? God is there
2: anything you haven't done? I asked myself that question <laughs> just today just today Jerry's regaling my wife with how he uh, uh wooed his wife, Jennifer and proceeds to say about on their first date, a suburban went off the road, was in a lake. You're on top of it, smashing out the windows, saving lives. Are you The Rock?
1: <laughs> no, The Rock is fictional. Oh, oh.
2: <laughs> your life is just made
1: up. No, it's not. <laughs> I just, I happen to be where things Where
2: ha- was The Suburban? Did you receive a car or did you drive upon a l- car just floating
1: in the lake? I went and picked up my girlfriend to be. Ex-girlfriend. Now she's your wife. And uh, we were driving down the highway. And this idiot passed us, and I made comment. How dare he pass you? About how fast he was driving. He proceeded to go off the road. Go off. He did it in front of you. Yes. Yeah. What an idiot! Oh, he went idiot. off the road. How embarrassing. Went through a fence.
2: He's <laughs> he going off the road? He was going. This is embarrassing. <laughs> I should.
1: I hope nobody sees this. I was exceeding the speed limit. This is embarrassing. He went. He went through the he went through a fence, hit a cow, and then went off into a pond, and he hit his head on the windshield. And he was his, his He hit a cow too? Yes. Did yes. the cow make it? Yes. Okay. Oh, I checked it. <laughs> it was I thought it was utterly destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> no. of course you did. And the uh,
0: cow
2: was like, I live. Thank you, Enrique. <laughs> thank you for that. When uh when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object <laughs>
1: I then proceed to make sure and pull his half-conscious self out of the vehicle that was halfway submerged in the pond. Then went back to my vehicle, went to Chili's, and drank two lemon drop martinis. Date number one. Are you a hero? Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Brian Regan. Thank you for making me listen to yet Uh... another stupid skit of Brian Regan. And now, for your pleasure, a board game review. So Hansa Teutonica has been around for a long time. It's one of those evergreen uh Pegasus spiel Pegasus spiel. Yeah, the designer. It's a sure. designer that I am not familiar with. I think it must have been one of those old-timey designers. Uh, Andre and, Steeding? Uh yes, Steeding. Okay. That's what I could tell from there. So not a well-known designer that I that 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 I'm aware of, but perhaps he's he's done other things. I need to look him up. It's a Three to five player game. We have the Hansa Teutonica, the big box, which just came out here a few months back. It's got a bunch of other extra little things, maps and so forth. This is a very dry, drab looking Euro with cubes and little, little bits and wooden pieces and your little player board that I wish was double layered, that you are going out and placing these cubes on routes in between cities, trying to build routes and trying to have and establish essentially markets in these cities. Say established. Established? Okay. What'd I say? Sounds like you're saying established. I probably am. I add X's the thing. I'm like triple X. Uh so in Hansa Teutonica, as you're moving your little cubes around basically trying to not only manage your actions but manage your what limited resources there are in a game which are just basically your trade your tradesmen that you're placing out there. This game is designed to be very interactive amongst players as well as not violent but purposely you're you're getting in everybody's way. And so The way that this game works as a route builder, which I do not particularly like route builders, I think route building, this is kind of like a uh, akin to, I don't want to say ticket to ride, something similar where you're placing these cubes out and there might be four or five spaces in between towns and as in your turn, you can place one cube or on your turn, you might be able to move a certain number of cubes around the board. And after you've got all your cubes lined up like a little trail in between two cities, you can then establish a trade route and be able to put a market, put one of your cubes into that city. This is a very dumbed down version of the rules. I don't want to kind of get, I don't want to get too in in depth on it because this is really a game that you really have to just see it played to really understand it, but Ideally, with your player board, you're also being able to upgrade your actions, like how many uh, actions you can take per turn and in-game scoring things, things of that nature. The idea of the game, though, is to not telegraph what your move is to the other players. Because to win and to really be competitive in this game, you have to interact with other players. You have to be mean. You purposely have to put your pieces out there where other players are at to try to block them, which will cost them resources to move your pieces out of the way, and at the same time be able to know where you want to go and try to slyly put your pieces out where they need to be without everybody seeing what you're about to do. Hansa Teutonica is a fighting euro, I think I would call it. It's not as dry and bland as others in terms of players just doing their own thing, but rather you are interacting the entire time, as this is a mean area control route building game, and I think this is one of the finest games I think I've ever played. Rike? I agree. Okay. Uh, (laughs) uh, On a scale... Okay. how What would you rate it on a scale of one to ten? I would give it a nine. A nine of these, it's pretty high. Well, you, oh, you're
0: generous,
2: same as, as Moonrakers. generous, got Moonrakers, Dune Imperium, or Hanza Teutonica? Rank them, rank them one, two, and three. Enrique,
0: and what was the other one? It was Moonrakers, Moonrakers, Dune, Tuto- Dune? Hansa. The Dune last form. three games we played, yeah. No,
1: I'm how
0: no, re- to re- remember Dune real quick. It's right there, Freddy. Yeah, sorry, sorry.
1: <laughs> Anxiously awaiting your, your
0: response. Yeah. So am I ranking them?
1: No, just give us which one do you <laughs> oh, like the best? Your uh, Moonrakers. You like Moonrakers the wow. best. Moon oh, what's best. your second out of those three?
0: Dune. And then hansa. Okay.
1: Okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Gabbies? gobbers
2: Uh I'm gonna have to go hansa number one, Dune number two, Moonrakers number three. Of course, Moonrakers is a primarily a negotiation game. Everybody knows I can't stand negotiation games. I suck at them. Hansa has is like a. Scy- the player board in front of you is scythe like in the fact that you can upgrade it and it gives you these things by moving them off of your board. And then there's a plethora of things out on the main game board that you can either upgrade or establish yourself in these townships or cities, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's a myriad of ways you can earn victory points. It is a, it's, it's, I wouldn't call it a point salad, but there's a lot of different ways to earn points off of your player board and the main board. you can't nose breathe. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. It's just you're breathing. Hold on. Continue on. It's Enrique. Like I shut him down It stops. It's that microphone. It's that microphone it's super sensitive. If you want to say something let me know. I'll turn you up. Yeah, no don't worry, about it. don't worry about it. Uh but Hansa Teutonica, I love I love it. It's it's vicious. There's a lot of back and forth. You can bump people out but even when you bump them out of what like they might have a plan of what they want to do and you can mess up their plan but even when you mess up their plan it's kind of a bonus cuz then they can do something else with the pieces that they meant to do that plan with on the player board it's a route building it's uh worker placement in a way it's also area control and that player board is really really nice because all of the moves you do in the game are on that player board it tells you the actions it's to me it's very clear cut the scoring can get a little like you might have to go the rule several times to figure out scoring but other than that i really like i really i'm a fan of that player board Like that player board telling you all of your actions Mm -hmm. and then you upgrading that. And as you upgrade it, it increases your actions, but also gives you more moves to make. Uh,
1: uh, That player board is super, super smooth to me. I think a lot of people are low key attached to player boards. Like I think if people were really honest with themselves that with Scythe, it's not just the artwork and the components, it's that player board, that player board, that thing of being able to move something around. That's totally yours. I'm shocked that the past three games that we have played, Mm -hmm. Dune, Hansa Teutonica, and Moonrakers, for me, all three of these games are hits and are games that I will have to put on when we do our top ten. That I will have to include them on this list. They're all all potential top ten games for me. Like, they're in the running. I was going
2: to say, along a similar line, all three of them we have played immediately after themselves.
1: Which is rare for us, because generally after we play a game one time, even if we in really enjoyed it, we will stop and kind of discuss it, and we're done with it. Both Hansa Teutonica and Dune and Moonrakers, each of them offered something incredibly different, and, th- and I'm referring to the past two podcasts that we've done, these games that we featured. If I had to rank them, they are so... They are completely different monsters. Dune, to me, is more of an Ameritrash game. It it has that deck building style, the 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 worker placement, the the player interaction. Uh, I it's 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 got a little. The the theme is very dry because there's nothing really. You know, it's just artwork. Nothing really says it's Dune. There's not a whole
2: lot. There's not a whole lot of interaction other than the combat.
1: Right, and yeah, I mean, you're really interacting by clogging up the workers' spaces. Hansa Teutonica is, which makes Dune kind of a a weird game to me, because you are interacting and getting in each other's way, much like a Euro, whereas Hansa Teutonica very much looks like a Euro, but there is a lot of violence going on in this game. Mm -hmm. You are in each other's business, constantly pushing each other around and trying to block each other. The same is true with Moonrakers. It's kind of a weird duck because it is a negotiation game, which I often take economic and negotiation games out of Ameritrash and Euro categories. I kind of think they're they're, their own monster. But although it is a negotiation game, that deck building aspect of it is very uh, entertaining and and a large part of the game.
2: That's why I sent you this... uh Tweet. I can't remember who said it, what was the, but the, um, the main thing of the tweet was as big as board gaming is getting. And as many types of games come into the market, this person was like saying they can see that people will drift towards certain genres. And that while board gaming is a, a, a broad spectrum people can easily go into certain genres and like become, and I could see what they were saying. Like, okay, I'm an 18. I'm really into 18 xx i I'm really into wargaming. I'm really into light card games. I'm really into worker placement. I'm guessing, but games like this make that difficult for me because there's such a, uh, there's such a merging of so many different. Mechanisms. It's hard to, if you're just into the standard, especially Euro, I would say, tabletop gaming, I guess that would be a genre. I guess I'm saying it right now. But even at that, like, there's so many different genres of games that are getting mixed and so many different mechanisms that are getting combined. It's hard for me. I, I don't know what I would be in. I'm into this. I'm into the, I'm into Moonrakers, Dune, Haunted Totonica.
1: Technically, you're an omni gamer is
2: the definition. Okay, sure. I'm an omni gamer. But that was, I found that to be an interesting discussion because even like with movies and with everything, like within this certain media, you can have people that separate off into these sub genres. Like, I'm really into this, I'm really into that. I'm really into anime. I'm really into noir. I'm really into whatever you might say with movies and board gaming. There is a lot of that. There's a lot of 18XX. There's a lot of war gamers. There's a lot of, you know, <laughs> negotiation. I don't know. Deck building. I don't know. But you're
1: right. You don't know. I don't know. So I'm into all of it. And yeah, and I think that it's, you, you gain a lot from not isolating yourself out from and just playing one type of game. And I think Hansa Teutonica, although it's an older game, been kind of redone a little bit to kind of you know spice it up and bring up. Bring Some it up people today. say it's the greatest euro of all time. Some people say there are a lot of people who say it's it's the greatest euro of all time. I would have to, oh, man, what does Hansa Teutonica even mean? It's a it's a merchant guild lower Germany back oh. in medieval times. It means I'm uh, a high German guy. Yeah, it's a it's a um, yeah, it's just a group of merchants. Uh but Hansa Teutonica I think if you are a euro gamer if I had to rank those three I'll go back to what I was saying to me Dune is more versatile with the worker placement the deck building and there is a solo in it I think that Dune is the I th- the better game in terms of that like having this very interesting uh, I think replayability
2: Dune, I think Dune does oh, I forget the word from 1 to 4
1: it scales well.
2: I think Dune scales a
1: lot better. Well, I don't think it scales very well just from two. Like, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to play two do. player. I have. You've not played I feel, it. I feel like we, we've played Dune, Dune two, two
2: player and hated it. I feel we, something's changed though. I know. Because I played it solo.
1: It's different. No, it's not.
2: We need to play it two player.
1: I, I, again. I, I, I'm, I, now. Nah. So, like, Hansa Teutonica is also not two player, it's, <laughs> it's the three to five. But really? Yeah, Hansa Teutonica is not a two-player game. And it's very interesting how the game of Hansa Teutonica kind of plays out with your moving the pieces about. It's very in-your-face. So I think Dune gives it an edge. If if someone come up to me and held up those three games, Moonraker, Hansa, and Dune, and said, which one am I going to buy? Overall, I think I'd say Dune. If you're an obvious Euro player that does not mind... Who's looking for something like really pure area control, really cerebral? I would say Hansa Teutonica. If you're a party gamer and you like to have negotiation and deck building and and more, I mean, yeah, you boy Moonrakers is just hard to beat. I mean, there are all three of them are going onto the list of my top ten. I'm going to have to sort out and see where they land. But man, Hansa Teutonica blew me away. I was, I was shocked by how much I liked this game. I read the rule book, which I was not impressed with. I was not impressed with the artwork. I was not impressed particularly with the components, the flat player boards. It's very generic. It's looking. very generic. A lot of the icons were uh, iconology. I keep saying iconology, but I mean to say Iconography. 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 Does not look. We've received many an email know, about I your s- incorrect usage of terms. All right, making sure they understand. We're it. not worshiping icons. I can't stand
2: iconology.
1: It. But yeah, it's a uh, yeah.
2: Hansa Teutonica gets the nod for me. It's amazing. You know what? Now that you say that, I'm going to have to veer back to Dune. <laughs> with a flip flop, right now, Dune's my number one. You think? Because so? it goes from one to four much better. I think when me we played that two player game with the bot. We did something wrong because I've played with solo several times. I've enjoyed it very much solo. Uh, the AI works very smoothly. We did something wrong. I don't know what. I can't go back in time and figure it out. Hansa to to though. to to Toot tuten common. Pharaoh. Yes. Egypt. Hansa Tutan Common is very good. At three player, don't know. What does it go to? Five? Five. I, I would not want to play this at five player. I would. I would not want to play not? this at five player. Uh, A, I'd get irritated. I would get blocked off too much. Yeah. yeah. This is part of the game. No, I don't, wanna, I don't, want, I don't want that. No, it, it, no. I, think, I like three because I think it's enough of interference. I but th- at the same time, it's quick. I don't want to wait for four freaking other players Hey, this game has um, some analysis paralysis because there's a lot of choices out there. While the actions you choose, there's only one, two, three, four, five, I think five actions you can choose. Sure, understandable. But once the game gets going and those uh, townships start getting established, there's a lot that goes into thinking. Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do I that? Know what you're talking about? If I had to wait for four other people to make up their mind, I, I wouldn't
1: want to play this game. Uh, no, nah, this game was blazing fast at three players. I mean, blazing fast. Not really. Players. Yes, it was. No, nope. timed it. It was it's blazing three. fast. I'm not blazing at, at three. At three, <laughs> three players, we played that second game. Okay, for Enrique is Okay, so
2: Enrique is agreeing with you. So I guess. Okay, hold on! Was, wait! 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 You're, Go ahead.
0: Because it was fast, because the moves themselves aren't that complicated. If you do
2: the two, the two primary actions of a one two three. I'm placing three cubes on the board. Yes, that's fast. We
1: played a three-player game
2: of Hansa Teutonica, and in 45 played minutes, in 45 we played it wrong. we played
1: it wrong. Yeah, we played, we it, played wrong. it. wrong. We played
0: it wrong the first round ago.
2: We played it wrong the second time as well. <laughs> yeah, because we didn't second, know that one because thing Because we was understood wrong. the 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 game itself. But I, I, I can see where it would increase upon knowledge. But, but still, I could. I, I'm saying for me myself, I wouldn't want to wait for four other people to take their turns for me to take my turn in Hansa Teutonica. I love it at three. It's quick. It's fast. I wouldn't want to wait for four, a five-player
1: game. I'd be interested in playing it just to see how it works out. It purports to be an hour-and-a-half game. I highly suspect with five players, it, it is an hour-and-a-half game. And I think that is a that is a sweet spot for me, an hour, an hour-and-a-half. A, a two-hour game of something gets a little long, unless it's in, it's more of an epic and more engaging game. But Hansa Tatonica to me... For our fans, if you have played other recommendations of ours, such as And Bar- if you're a fan, you'll buy a shirt from SirMeeple.com. As, as like uh, Barony. Barony's one that we have talked about for a long time. Hansa Teutonica, to me, has a very similar feel to me, where you are, every move you make has to be calculated to a point to where you you, you are trying to maximize each and every turn. And there are some epic moves that can be made, and it seems like you're the game is about to end very quickly. It's like that that last end game. Like you can tell, someone is about to end this game. Someone's about to end this game, and you're trying your best to get your objective done, whatever it might be. Uh, I just think Hansa Tatanka is an amazing game.
2: It is. I agree, especially
1: uh, for as old as it. When did it come out? It's been I forget it, but it's 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 just it's an been. evergreen.
2: It's an evergreen. Has it been one week?
1: been more than that but yeah Hansa Teutonica is a great game I'm impressed with it anybody who's a Euro player should play it if you like this area control get past some of the artwork and some of the components and some of the rule book kind of being a pain you will certainly enjoy it if you had three players great game
2: great game
1: wonderful game oh, okay
2: approved by the board game snobs you're listening to the board game snobs podcast you have chosen wisely
0: And now, letters from our
1: adoring fans and hate mail from our adversaries. Patrick Foster says, Oh, this is his top five. I'm enjoying God of War on PlayStation right now. Blah, 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 blah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Enrique, what's God of War? Uh, Besides a really good Nicholas Case.
2: Movie. Isn't Mars the God of War?
0: It depends on which one he's referring to. There's the PlayStation 2 versions or the new PlayStation 4 version. Okay.
1: Let's see. Legacy of Dragon Holt. So that's a board game. I recognize that. He says it's really well done and it tells an interesting story. I've been wanting to play that. That's like a uh, sort of like an RPG. I need to look that up. I guess his number three, he put. Uh, probably There Will Be Blood. Is that the prequel to There Will Be Blood? <laughs> <laughs> there might be. That was his threat. There, there might be some bleeding. <laughs> <There's> Possibility <laughs> of bruising. Perhaps. <laughs> be conscious of the contusions. Um uh,
2: Conscious of the Conditions.
1: All right, number four. It's a game. All right, this is he's describing a game by its box cover. Okay, it's a game with lots of greens and blues that has a monster under a boat in the foreground and some mountains in the background. That's that Sleeping Giants game. Oh, that's Lion Laquette. And number five, he just puts King Dominoes with my in laws. Mm. So I guess he'd been playing King Domino. I played Queen Domino with my wife. I don't like Queen Domino. Did you finish that My City? Almost. We're almost done with it. It's excellent for for what it is ooh, uh ooh, shots fired jeff Melema. Melema. melima that's a cancer melanoma, melanoma. jeff mel jeff I've never heard that before neither uh-huh, i'm tearing it up uh let's see he's from minnesota well,
2: let's sit the state of of likes
1: how can i view your profiles on bgg mine is baker id 2000 and you can look at my profile it's not actually my profile did I email It's like a the,
2: uh, sh- uh, picture of the side of your face.
1: Yeah, it's like... Uh, let's see. Speaking of worker placements, have you guys played Ron... I can't say that. Rajas of the Ganges? That's all I know how to say. It. I had that once. Took antibiotics for it. It's number three of my all time. I've seen it. Been wanting to play it. The art kind of put me off. It was kind of psychedelic. Chris Miller <laughs> from Sunny Salvador. El oh. Salvador. The Salvador. Salvador. El L that well, means Z, that doesn't mean it? The salvation, the salvation, the salvation. I don't know. He I don't is
2: want from S- Enrico. What's Salvador stand for? I Don't know. He doesn't know. I'm
1: uh,
0: only half. So, anyways, he's, me as well.
1: He says that this really sticks in his crawl, the way that I rate games because I was talking about this and I the said the way
2: you rate games makes me irate.
1: So Jerry maintains that he rates his games pretty hard. I can respect that, but if you're rating a large chunk of your games of average or lower, then you really stink at picking out your games.
2: This is a conversation from
1: several podcasts ago. So, like, when I said that my average was, like, 5.5, he says... These Salvador the, means savior, by the way. Th- these are the games I chose to buy. He looks at rule books, takes investigates them, buys them, so forth and so on. Anyways, so I res- said I was going to respond, so thus I shall respond. And I did look at his BGG... Uh, Profile and look at his ratings. A lot of these games that we buy and play are for the podcast, so that we end up playing games that buy. We end up buying games that we necessarily would not have otherwise. I would say, like, there's no way certain games that I would have purchased in the past.
2: Games that are hot.
1: Yeah. So we end up. So that's that's why I rate games. Very average is because most of these games are very, very, very average.
2: And oftentimes I just buy games
1: on a whim. Yes, you do. You do a lot of whim buying, and that, does, that rarely works out. Who's DL? Is this Hughley? No, That's this is from Australia. Another Australian listener. He lives two hours south near Shell Harbor. My favorite board game is the vintage game, The Game of Nations, simply for the fact that no one else likes it. I looked it up. There's true. There's not that many. Uh, I, I I didn't understand it. He also says, P.S., Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is one of my all-time favorite films.
2: Uh, we have a listener on, uh, we have several new YouTube listeners, Roughneck Penny. He said he's proof that there are black people in Canada. Roughneck Penny? Roughneck Penny. <laughs> nice. I don't know that, I don't think that's his real name.
1: That's probably, a uh...
2: Roughnecks. I remember that's what the guys were called in Armageddon the guys that were drilling for oil roughnecks
1: i remember that they have roughnecks were also what the guys were called in starship troopers all right so now we hope you enjoy jerry's interview with max robin maximum robin and his robin. game in Pendium and his reprint of his previous game noble Lux, which are both solo and multiplayer and various it's it's an interesting kickstarter you should kick it check it out i think it kick, ends, it. kick it out i think it ends in march so uh right, check, so that, check out. that
2: out and now we'll go into that.
1: Okay. Well then let's just get started. That way we can just jump into it. So this is with us is Max Robin. I say with us. Gobby's not with me this time. It's just me because he's a loser. <laughs> Max is Max. Your real name is that short for Maximilian. I wish it this was Maximilian. It's Maxwell.
3: Oh, like the coffee house. Yep, exactly. Oh.
1: (laughs) So, okay, because we had a bet going on. Gobby, uh, my co-host, he said that your name was just probably just Max. (laughs) And I said, no, Max is an abbreviation. His name is probably like Maximilian or something. And I I named off like four or five names that I could think (laughs) of that began with M-A-X. And Maxwell was not one of them.
3: Yeah, I think Maxwell's probably the most common, but yeah, maybe like a Maximus or Maximilian. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a common name these days.
1: <laughs> I cannot believe that was like what I... Uh, yeah. Maximus or Marcus. I named down everything but Maxwell, the most common of them. Okay, that's interesting. All right. All right, so that's not a... It's not just uh, somebody who had poor imagination and just went with the abbreviated name. No,
3: actually, had yeah. a, a full name. <laughs> yep, exactly. I, I've got an official name to to get shouted when my mother is angry at me, and then what everybody else calls me.
1: <laughs> so Maxwell, you're a you're a designer actually, and a Kickstarter aficionados because if you uh, if you this day and age if you have one successful kickstarter that's pretty good so now you're you're already on your second successful kickstarter Yeah, thank you and you're the you're the uh the owner proprietor of dragon egg games correct Yes, sir
3: yep i don't know if i'd say kickstarter aficionado but uh yeah some some modest success here so far
1: so first off i'm 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 coming at this from the standpoint of I, I I know there's a lot of people in the board game industry. Not, no, not the industry, just the hobby, that for some reason when people get to playing board games, they all decide one day that they're going to try to design a board game. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know why that is and why that's like a thing for, for hobbyists, but like, I, it, it was like a I, – I, I used to uh, scuba dive, and when I first got into it, the guy that was teaching the class, and I was asking him like where to buy equipment. He says, "Well, everybody who takes up scuba diving eventually opens a <laughs> scuba diving shop." And he says, "the the best place to get equipment is just look for one of those shops and go to a going out of business sale because there's no need to be owning us sc- that many." And sure enough, that was like a thing. We all would always just you know find a shop and wait for it to go out of business and then go buy yeah. them out. Uh, yeah. There's something about that particular hobby that makes people go, you know what? Everybody needs a to limit. To
3: <laughs> well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the board game hobby industry is full of people with passion, you know, and they get really, really excited about the experience of board gaming. Everything that it involves, right? The people, the theme, the mechanics. Um, and, and I think with anything, you know, scuba diving included, I think the more passionate you get about it, the more you put yourself into it, um, the more you, you know, want to create that experience as opposed to just sort of consume the experience that other people have created for you. Um, so I think that's probably why. I mean, everybody's got these different mechanics that they fall in love with and different themes that they fall in love with. And it's only a certain amount of time before, you know, you start – piecing together those mechanics in your head and combining them with a really cool theme that you think is sort of fresh. And, uh, you know, put pen to paper if you've got the time. (laughs) So why did you...
1: uh, uh, Let me... Let's go from the beginning here. How did you come up with the name Dragon Egg Games? Yeah. And your logo is of a dragon encompassed
3: in an egg. got it. Exactly. Yeah, so Dragon Egg Games um, really kind of speaks to... You know, what my wife and I are doing with the company, um, you know, first off, the, the blue dragon has kind of always been the symbol of our relationship. So really kind of cool, uh, you know, personal touch there, but also just the uh, the egg piece of it. Right. We kind of speaking to what I just talked about, this whole concept of this untapped imagination, this untapped creativity. That we want to help bring to the world, not just with our own ideas, but everyone. And you know, like what you're saying, everyone's got an idea. Everyone's got something really cool that they want to bring out. And so for us, you know, we kind of think of that as this this you know delicate, beautiful little egg that we need to help hatch, right? So um, so for us, Dragon Egg Games was a, was a perfect little uh, logo to encompass that.
1: You've thrown me off. The blue dragon is representation of some meaning in your marriage has now got me kind of thinking: what animal is represented in mine? <laughs> I don't know. That's like a that's that was a new thought. It's like a thing. Yeah, I'm trying. Sky's to,
3: the limit. I, I, you know, I, I, I picked a, a fantastical creature, so you know, knock it out of the park, man.
1: <laughs> well, you don't want to have something weird like a an a an erotic penguin or something of that nature. You know, you got Alex, like, like, what? I mean, it's, a, it's like when they're handing out logos or or spirit animals. It's like the, the blue dragon. Yeah, okay. yeah.
3: Go, you know, maybe maybe canvas some, like, high school mascots and see what sticks. <laughs> There's some weird ones these days.
1: So how many blue dragon tattoos do you have? <laughs>
3: None yet. You know, we'll see how Impendium does. <laughs> well,
1: you know. There's nothing, nothing, nothing quite shows that you're committed like that uh, lower that's back. That's right. To.
3: That's right. No, no regrets. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so besides board games, and I'm, I'm going to throw you off here. Now you, you, uh, you also jujitsu j- uh, or fight or something,
3: right? Yeah. Yep. So i uh, been super into martial arts really since I was a kid. Uh, I grew up doing Taekwondo, which is all like striking, punching, kicking, that sort of thing. And, um, more recently in the past, let's say a year and a half, two years, um, I've gotten into jujitsu, which is essentially the martial arts equivalent of wrestling. You know, you're, you're grappling, you're, you're trying to submit people, you know, give, get them in arm bars or choke them out. And, um, you know, as, as, uh, violent as that may sound, it's actually a really nice set of tools to have in your tool belt because you know i am actually a, a black belt in taekwondo but the only way i knew how to end a fight was to you know punch somebody and hurt them right um and so it's nice to have the, the option to just kind of hey i'm gonna put you to sleep real quick walk away and you'll wake up in you know 30 seconds just fine
1: <laughs> now now jujitsu now that's is that like the uh there's like several different types. Is this like the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu yeah, or something? Yeah, Brazilian, of what,
3: what? Yep, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Gracie lineage. Yep, exactly.
1: I, I listen to Joe Rogan, so yes. I did hear a lot about <laughs> okay, yep. that type of... That's like, I've known nothing about jujitsu, but I hear enough about it. And I'm like,
3: oh, yeah, dude,
1: this is the thing you can sh- strangle people out of.
3: That's <laughs> exactly it. Strangle them, um, or, or even just kind of put them in a position where you can hold them and control them, you know, and hey, you know, wait till uh, law enforcement shows up or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's making a big comeback. Yeah, I mean, Joe's obviously made it super popular, but just even in general. Um, something about it, like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is making a big big wave so it's been cool, it's been a lot of fun they, they, they say
1: there's like a technique to it, it's not just about strength, is that the case? Like like a big guy can be taken down by someone substantially
3: small. <clears throat> totally, yeah, so like if you do a co- competition, they'll still put you in weight classes and, and everything just like they would do in the UFC, but um, you know, when we train, you'll have a 170-pound guy go up against a 215-pound guy, no problem. And it really does come down to technique. Um, it's not – I mean, strength plays a factor, obviously. And, you know, if you have a, a big dude, you know, sit on your chest. It's going to be a lot harder to get out than a small dude. But, um, you know, the, the techniques that you're using, they're really more about the finesse and waiting for those opportunities and those openings and leveraging – you know, pivot points on your body and, and their momentum against them, um, to, to really control, you know, the, the narrative. It's, it's like, uh, I think of it as chess, but with your body, it's like every move that you make has to be super planned out. You know, you wait for the right opportunity to take advantage of a mistake that they just made kind of thing. Um, so I'm not going to say strength and size doesn't matter, but it can certainly be overcome with skill, which is you know, one thing I've I've noticed going up against these tiny little, like, 150-pound black belts, you know, and here I am, a white belt, you know, 180 pounds, it, it's, uh, that 20 pounds doesn't really mean much when they can tie me up in a, in a pretzel.
1: Chess with your body sounds like the uh, expansion for Twister. We've
3: all done with. <laughs> yeah, Twister, that'd be interesting, you know, throw a little, uh, a few more spots on the board to, like, you know, okay, now wrap your, your arm around their neck. <laughs> See what happens. There's
1: there's your next game idea. There's right there. You can have that for oh, free. That's, like that's a awesome. Twister, a twist, a twister-type game that teaches basic jiu-jitsu moves. That is
3: not a half-bad idea, Jerry. You have provided real value to my day here. Have a mat,
1: you know, and then you just kind of, you know, like you... you you put your hand here, your foot there. You wrap this around that person. That could be, yeah,
3: work. and that could be, uh, you know. Okay, we're starting in this position, and then you wrestle from here. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. Could,
1: well, you know, it that might work out. The uh, all right, so we, we covered the uh, covered the the, the, the jitsu because that was that was of course something I have to ask about. So. Why did you, uh, what got you into starting Dragon Egg Games? Why did you decide to start a game
3: company during a pandemic? Yeah, what a great question. Uh, and I asked myself the same as shipping delays and whatnot were occurring last year. Um, you know, pandemic aside, I think, like like I said, it's something as, as I was getting into the hobby, I mean, since college, you know, it's been a very, very integral part of the experiences that I've had with with my wife, with my friends, with my kids. Now, um, I think you know, board games are such a useful way to spend your time with other people uh, in a really uniquely bonding way. You know, compared to hey, we're gonna sit down and, and binge Netflix. I mean, yeah, we're sitting on the couch together and you know, kind of having the same experience. But when you're looking at a, the other person across the table and interacting with them and you know, it's just a totally different, and every board gamer listening to this knows that, you know, they, they know that experience. But what we really wanted to start doing was, um, you know, taking some of these ideas that we'd had, you know, that we thought were pretty good and, and um, some of these themes and, and do something with them. You know, I'm a big believer, again, in how you spend your time in life. You know, how much of it do you spend creating versus consuming, And however you're doing that, like you creating this podcast, you know, trying to give something to the world, um, you know, and obviously consuming is a big part of it. It helps define what you want to create. But for us, um, you know, we really wanted to start creating some of those awesome experiences that we'd had and, and help bring people into the hobby to start generating more of those experiences for other people and their families and their friends. And so, um, you know, we'd had, some of these designs, sort of fully baked and you know playable and and fun, you know, with little hand drawn cards and whatnot, and um, and we wanted to try to take it to the next level and and really put some art behind it, put some polish behind it, some graphic design, and so you know we started doing that and um, and getting you know actual like pretty looking ish prototypes from the game crafter. And things like that, um, to the point where you take that and then you take that to enough friends and family, and they're like, look, this is this is fun, let's put it out into the world and and see if we can actually get you know get it in front of more people. Um and everything just snowballs from there. There's a ton to figure out uh in the process of doing that. Um but I think everything stemming from that passion is really what's brought us to the point we are today. And, and again, it's it's modest beginnings here. We're, we're on our kind of second major game um, and and learning a ton every step of the way. But uh, I think it, it all kind of comes back to that passion that we had and, and really wanting to bring that experience to as many people as we could.
1: Well, why uh... – what, well, let me back up. Well, since we're, we're we're discussing the design process, what was your process with designing this game? Like, like was this something that you just sat down in your off time and focused on it, or was this something that you uh, something that you worked on a, a set period of time? Well, how how did you come? What, what, walk me down through this. Walk me. Yeah.
3: Down. So, um, so we had kind of. So I'll start with Nova Lux. Um, kind of had this basic idea of a theme it it all starts with theme for me at least in my process like I want to tell a story and I want the players to be a part of that story even though you know it's not this uh you know heavy in-depth like there's going to be a storybook component here or any you know legacy or anything like that but just the ability to even in a short play experience like Nova Lux plays in 15 minutes solo 30 minutes with two players Um even in a short play experience that's that's repeatable, you're diving in, right? And and so we started with this theme. I'm a huge sci-fi nerd, I love Doctor Who, Isaac Asimov, Star Wars. Um so started with this theme of like the end of the universe, entropy. You know, the, the idea that everything is decayed and the universe is collapsing around you and what life forms would exist at that point in, in the history of the universe and what would they be doing to, to stay alive and, or would they even care? I mean, is it, is it all for not kind of thing? So like, really hidden, hidden some, some deep, uh, themes right, at, right out of the gate. And, and then from there, you just sort of start telling that story. So what are you doing? You're, you're one of these aliens. What are you trying to do? Well, you know, we're trying to stay alive. We're trying to collect everything that we need to stay alive and sustain biological life and and, uh, and find new hope, sort of. You know, if, if everything is collapses, what's the point of even trying to stay alive? Well, maybe there's a possibility that we outlast this. What does that look like? And then you start, you know, developing, okay, well, we're trying to build this contained biosphere colony, uh, you know, going off this Dyson sphere concept, you know, where you're wrapping, uh, you know, a big construct around an actual physical star to absorb its energy and repurpose that. And so, you know, you started get. layering in all of these crazy ideas and complexities and okay now I want to be able to move around the universe and collect different things from different galaxies and solar systems to to do all of what I just described and then once you've got that down you just put mechanics behind it you know okay how do I move I spend x how do I get resources I you know change x to y and and you know um, how do I, how do I build my biosphere? What does that mean? Okay. Well, we're going to layer in some engine building mechanics. Um, what, what am I? What are these different alien factions? Okay. Well, I'm going to, you know, build in some asymmetric powers to go along with it and, and layer in this concept of these faction cards. And so it just kind of gets, it builds up and it builds up and it builds up to this, honestly, two, too complex, you know, and and uh, you kind of find that fine line of okay, this is too much to think about now. And from there, that's actually a really exciting point because then you just start, you know, cutting things to find that really perfect balance of complexity with accessibility and replay- replayability. Again, with our target market of, you know, we want to bring people in, have a game that's super easy to teach, but also meaty enough for, um, you know, really deep experience. Um. And so that was Novelux, And then Impendium just sort of evolved from there, you know, taking some of those complexities and continuing the story on as much as I could um, to sort of uh, tie in with the the overall experience and sort of create this space opera saga, Star Wars-esque, uh, you know, tale that we're telling over multiple games. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at now. <laughs>
1: was there a particular game that inspired you to make I I know with I I wish you'd plug your game Impendium is the one that's currently on Kickstarter right Right. now and and uh, Lux was your previous one so uh, Impendium's already funded at this moment has pretty funded pretty quickly like in three hours which I guess that's a that's a Kickstarter thing the quicker you get them get funded yep Uh, but was there a particular game that kind of inspired you uh, in your design process
3: um, I can't point to a single one, honestly. Um, there are a ton of games that I love, um, that I think all have different components of, of what kind of ultimately became Nova Lux and now Impendium. Um, you know, Blood Rage, I love like sort of this dudes on the map thing where you're controlling different parts, you know, area control. A lot of that's an Impendium, not necessarily, you know, Nova Lux. Um, I love resource management, any game where you're, um, you know, trading and, uh, attacking, um, you know, as part of that. So, so that was a, that's really the main mechanic in Nova Lux is trading and, and managing resources to get up to this point where you can build your colony. Um, so, I mean, insert any awesome resource management game and, and those have been hugely influential. Um, I love, space games in general you know race for the galaxy nemesis is one that i've been diving into a lot lately uh you know and and perhaps informing themes there in terms of this sort of apocalyptic sense of of doom and gloom um with a little bit of hope sprinkled in so uh you know honestly i can't point to a single game that's influenced any of my game designs and i think that's just out of uh, you know being a hobby gamer for so long, I think there are so many different influences from so many different games, and um, you know you just kind of try to take those mechanics, put, piece them together in a new way, in a way that really uh, is informed by the theme itself, and uh, and you get something special.
1: When it came time to actually find somebody to produce your game, like I mean, you, you decide to self-publish rather than uh, finding a already established uh, publisher why'd you go that route why did you bring it to kickstarter or did you try to bring your game to someone else
3: yeah you know i so i we're in minnesota which happens to be this hotbed of uh game designers and and awesome companies i mean leader games is out here adam's apple games uh floodgate i mean there's just so many awesome companies uh in my backyard I started reaching out to a lot of them really more for advice on someone kind of in my shoes that had a game design idea, you know, fairly well polished, um, you know, and it just kind of breaking down the numbers and and I'm honestly thinking of it from a publisher's perspective and getting some of their feedback on their journeys. I mean, people in very similar scenarios where, hey, this isn't my full-time job yet, but it's something that I really have a huge passion for. And I want to pour my heart and soul into, and you know, bring this experience to people. Um, It it just became really clear when you broke all of it down that for for me to create my vision and really have the level of control that I wanted, um, you know, as well as sort of what's in it for me. At the end of the day, um, you know, there's only so much time I can spend on a on a hobby that doesn't make any money. You know, and so as a, as a designer, if you're not a well-established designer, you know, it's really, really hard to break in and build any sort of a reputation. Um, you know, even if you do sign a deal with, with a publisher, it might be two, three years before they take yours and, and put it in the, you know, development slot. Um, so, you know, I just didn't want to wait that long and, and I wanted to put the pedal to the metal. So um, plus, I, you know, beyond just the design process, I, I, have a huge passion for like the arts and, and the graphic design and the feel. And, uh, and I wanted to, you know, get my, uh, you know, get my chance to manage some of that and really see the process through end to end. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's why we, you know, kind of jumped in, uh, you know, full tilt with, with Nova Lux.
1: So the artwork, uh, yeah. So you're yeah. the artist. I guess you could say. Uh,
3: No. So we actually have a number of different artists that we work with. Um, There's a main artist. And so this is like one of the early decisions that we made was, okay, you know, what kind of budget do we have? I mean, you can get really awesome art, but that's going to be like 300 bucks a piece. And for a game like Nova Luxe that has, you know, 50 plus, you know, art pieces, uh, you know, and and no – no credited design, you know, no, no reputation, a little bit too much to start betting yourself, betting on yourself there. So we, we went to the drawing board and and found uh, you know a number of different artists. We actually went to Fiverr for a lot of it. Um, and, and they, you know, have, have been, there's just such an awesome pool of resources there that is willing to work with you and work with you very closely. Um, you know, you have to really kind of, I think coach artists sometimes to bring your vision to life and a lot of edits and things like that. But, uh, but yeah, we, we actually found a, a primary artist on Fiverr that, that wanted to remain anonymous, um, as, as part of these games. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're also branching out. Like we've got a, another game called Virtue coming out probably. Either later this year or early twenty twenty two, and you know, with that, we we contracted James Churchill, who's like cream of the crop, super super talented, um, you know, and and uh, it's almost, you know, the the game will have more of a shot because it has his name on it, kind of thing, right? Um, whereas right now we're sort of betting on ourselves and our own reputation and our, our own customer service and our ability to run a good Kickstarter campaign. And we're seeing that now with like the returning backers, um, you know, from Nova Lux to Impendium. So, um, anyway, I got off track there.
1: <laughs> well, no, but so after you've kind of gotten the art, you know, lined out, you've kind of got the design, you kind of know what you're looking for. How do you go about finding a manufacturer? Like how did you go down this process of like deciding who's going to, be actually producing the components and the shipping and all that. Yeah.
3: Yep. So we, again, kind of interviewing a lot of my publisher friends in in Minnesota and, and people that I see as, as huge mentors to me, we found a couple different options, uh, for, for manufacturers, um, you know, kind of interviewed them, went through a few different iterations of like what kind of components can they provide, you know, quality checks, things like that. Um, but, you know, ultimately, it, it comes down to your, your ability to work with someone. So the communication style, the ability to be responsive and be nimble and, and almost be part of the design process in many ways. Um, when you think about the physical components, like with Nova Lux, for instance, this compact design was something really, really important for us. We wanted to have a very small box with this huge, expansive experience. Um, so Novalox is like smaller than KU even in your hand. It's, it's a very, very small box, but it's this massive space opera that, you know, you can you pull, out of the, pull out of the box and, you know, spread across the table. So, so we really wanted that, you know, point being, we needed a partner that could not just say, okay, send us all of your specs, but work with us to say, okay, this component, if we make it... Eight millimeters instead of ten millimeters can fit in this little section of the box, and I mean we planned out every single millimeter of of that thing uh, to fill it right up to the top, and and it's been really uh, well received because of that. But point being, so so that's kind of some of the feedback and some of the design process that we went through in figuring out the manufacturer, um, Boda Games, by the way, in in China, if anyone's interested, and then um, for logistics, uh, we went with Fun Again. Logistics. Um again interviewed a couple different places. Um, logistics is a really, really tricky thing to solve for, especially in 2020, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, so we needed to figure out okay what percentage of our backers are going to be international, what you know, what do we envision for US? Where is the fulfillment center going to be located? And, you know, originally we were thinking we were going to have, uh, you know, like one in the UK or, or EU and one in the US to do the customs friendly stuff. Um, but with what we were watching happen in, in terms of international shipping, we actually wanted to have a lot more visibility and control than that would allow for us. To do so, so we decided to bring everything into a warehouse, you know, in the U.S. that we could, you know, communicate with very effectively and very quickly that we trusted, and so that was Fun again. Uh, and then this time with Impendium, we'll be using Fun again as well as uh, a similar service in, called ShipQuest in, in the UK um, to handle UK and EU. But uh, it's you know to your question, how do you figure out who you're going to work with? It comes down to trust. It comes down to asking a lot of questions. It comes down to talking to mentors about what they've done and who they've seen success with, um, and then you kind of have to make a decision and and uh, and be married to it at least for the campaign.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people is I think the the logistics of all this is lost on a lot of people who see Kickstarter or think of designing a board game is that it, those are headaches you know even even a well run kickstarter campaign now that you you know you've been successful now you got to worry about how you're going to get the game to the people
3: exactly i mean that's logistics and manufacturing is one thing but even before that how, how do you get the game to the people how do you get it in front of their eyes how do how do you know let them know that you exist you know and that has been the probably biggest challenge to figure out is building a community um, you know, hearing that feedback and adjusting on the fly. What can I incorporate? What can't I based on the timelines that I'm trying to hit, you know, with, with fulfillment. Um, So it's, 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 yeah, there's a ton that goes into it. And when you think of like marketing and pre-marketing you know, building a, building an audience, having that audience, you know, really, really well cared for. I mean, customer service, Being absolute number one for us, Um, I'd rather lose money honestly on on a on a customer and have them come back for game number two and three as a result of that. And I think that's kind of just where we're at in in our cycle as a company. You just have to put everything into it um, and kind of trust that uh, that that'll show. You know, and the work speaks for itself.
1: So, do you find that uh, as you have? I mean, have you had any particular headaches? with the manufacturing or logistics or the kickstarter
3: yeah i mean i'll say um you know using manufacturing as an example with Nova lux you know we had all of the um design specs and things submitted right right at the end of the campaign um you know and again, not bashing Boda by any means, but there's just this process of okay, we have to go back and forth and iterate and and tweak things and worry about bleed lines and you know this this just uh you learn so much on the fly you know about graphic design, about how to put the box together. Um, you know about what components fit where, and so so there was a lot of that with Nova Lux, for instance, where you know we finally got the manufacturing sample, um, you know, later than we were expecting, but because we had everything lined up ahead of that, we were able to just click go on manufacturing right away. Um, logistics, man, that was such a nightmare last year. Getting everything manufactured was was easy enough, you know, it took a month, but then once that that happens it has to get loaded on a boat and it's it's you know rocking on a boat for a month before it actually gets to the partners and then you've got to get through customs which was like backlogged by three or four weeks so i mean we just barely squeaked in on time to start fulfilling in february as as we had promised in the campaign um but you know like for me that's a promise like that's i mean february it's not you know I think a lot of these companies kind of get used to, okay, we're delayed by two months. Sorry. Um, you know, that's almost unacceptable to me. I, you know, I get that there's some unforeseen things that, that impact stuff and, um, you know, but just dealing with a lot of that and, okay, where are we at in customs, the lack of visibility into where the games were at times in the, in the shipping process, um, you know, it uh, keeps you up at night sometimes.
1: And you mentioned with like putting your face out there, the marketing aspect of trying to get attention drawn to your Kickstarter. What were some of the tactics that you used? You found to be successful?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I think with Nova Lux, we um, we really didn't have the time or the budget to do anything ahead of time. It was sort of, hey, we're gonna uh, you know go on to Kickstarter and and start running some some ads and see what happens. Um, you know, we had heard plenty of horror stories about Kickstarters where, you know, the, the creator goes on expecting Kickstarter to, to bring the audience for them. Um, and that is, you know, and we kind of anticipated that. So luckily, we, we didn't just expect that. We were running ads and stuff to, to get some, some eyes on the campaign. Um, but, but that is really it. It's you need to bring your own audience or build your own audience to bring along and so with with Nova Lux, you know, that essentially was, you know, Facebook advertising that was getting the game out to reviewers to do videos. You know, some that had bigger audiences like we, we got with uh, the Dice Tower and Tantrum House and Board Game Geek, um, you know, to again, you kind of have to make a big splash in some ways. And then from there, um, it's nice Again, when you can stand behind your product, deliver on time, have this awesome experience, get people to go on the board game geek and tell the world about that experience. Um, so things have felt much easier now with Impendium. And with that, we also had something to talk about in terms of pre-marketing, right? Here's game number one. It's out. We did a, a print run of a thousand, which is completely, you know, sold out before we even shipped. When you, when you talk about retail orders as well. Um, and you know we had something to actually build buzz around, and, and people that were playing the game and excited for game number two, and then you know plenty of people in the world that obviously didn't have Nova Lux that could get excited about both games at the same time. So we wanted to really leverage that and start to build this, um, you know, pre pre campaign buzz. So you know, for instance, with Nova Lux, I think going into launch day, we had a hundred or so followers on the project page. Um, and for Impendium, that was closer to a thousand, right? So, so much, much more success right out of the gates early on. Um, you know, and then it's, it's all about how do you manage the campaign from there, stretch goals, uh, things to kind of mitigate the mid campaign slump, right? So, uh, we're, we're in the thick of all of that right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the, uh, the, I, I have seen a lot of, various Kickstarter campaigns, it seems like when they, it doesn't matter how long the campaign is, it seems like as soon as it opens, that's where you get a outpouring of support. And then the last 48 hours is where it seems to, to be where all the attention is then drawn. It's like somewhere in the middle. You just, you're just you just leaving the campaign open long enough to advertise. And then the last 48 hours and the first 48 hours seem to be the most important.
3: Exactly. And, and it makes sense. There's no sense of urgency. There's a sense of urgency out of the gates to be backer number, you know, one to 200 or whatever, um, you know, and, and people that have genuinely been waiting to back it. I mean, that's what I love to see, like these Returning backers, you know, hopping on the comments, day ones, and great to be back. Like that, that camaraderie, that community you build is is just so apparent. And so that's the first, you know, first forty eight hours to seventy two hours, whatever. That's those people, and then yeah, then you're getting in front of new people through through advertisements. And throughout that time, between 40, you know, first 48 hours and last 48 hours, you start to see project followers climbing. So people, you know, they click the video, they click notify me before the campaign closes. And so that's really what you start to see increasing, um, you know, and people that you know, want to get the updates and want to see the new stretch goals as they're unlocked. Um, and, and those are then the people that you typically see come back in the last 48 hours. And that's, that's kind of why it's got those two different spikes there. Um, so just, you kind of have to fall back on data, understand, you know, if I get X number of people to the page based on Google analytics, this many people will ultimately want to back, um, you know, and you work through those conversions based on, you know, your project followers and things like that. So. It's, it's definitely uh, nerve wracking at this point in the campaign. You're you're kind of waiting uh, in many senses, but uh, yeah, just try to keep your sanity by by watching the data and uh, and just kind of understanding the the way these spikes typically happen. So
1: this sounds all very harrowing uh, <laughs> and very stressful, especially since uh, you know this is not your this is not your full time gig. This is just something that you do as a passion project. Do do you uh, envision in years to come of uh, trying to turn Dragon Egg games into something much bigger?
3: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I would love to, Um, and I think it's important to think of like a, a board game company in the board game industry. It's a lot more than the Kickstarter campaign, right? You've got the pledge manager, which is going to come out. You've got, you know, retail orders. You've got, you know, potential third-party publishing, you know, connections that you can do internationally. So there's a lot of other ways. Um, I think I think Kickstarter is a really great tool to get exposure and get the game out in front of a lot of people other than your, you know, playtest group. Um, so that's the the piece of the puzzle that we really want to unlock is... What, where do we take Nova Lux and Impendium from here and get it to people who, you know, weren't there at the Kickstarter and, and, you know, don't necessarily want to wait six to 12 months for a game, you know, and pre-buy it and they just want to go and pick it up on the shelf? And I respect that, right? How do we get in front of those people? Um, you know, plenty more design ideas out there, some that we've got miniatures already created for and, and art already made for. So, um, so, yeah, you know, I'd love for this to be a long-term thing um and, and really continue to grow the audience and, and the, the kind of really loyal following, the the raving fans, if you will. Um but it's it just takes time and, and you definitely have to find the right balance uh until it is the full time gig, you know, with the wife and kids and full time job. There's a lot of a lot of late nights <laughs> that Uh, The kids. So so
1: your wife is literally the mother of (laughs) dreams.
3: Exactly. Yes. Yes, she is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I see see that. I see what you're doing there. Well, Max, it was was nice talking with you. If you had uh, to close it out, any advice to somebody out there who's an expiring game designer and perhaps thinking about pulling a trigger on their own Kickstarter? Yeah, I mean,
3: first and foremost, uh, I'll, I'll pay it forward here. You know, anybody, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to kind of talk you through specific questions that you have. Um, but just on that thread, if, if there's anyone that you know or, or even admire and kind of look up to in the industry, reach out to them. You know, every, these are all people, right? And they all typically are the friendliest people I've ever met. And they want you to succeed and they want to help you. Um, but, you know, don't don't try to do it on your own. Um, you know, find the right uh, group that's going to help you in every facet, whether that's marketing, whether that's fulfillment, whether that's manufacturing. You know, again, don't try to do this on your own and uh, and really seek advice from people that have done it. And, you know, sky's the limit.
1: Well, I appreciate you, Max. And uh, just to I'll, I'll tag your Kickstarter in our post here to our podcast, but Impendium is your current project that's on. It's already funded, but you can also get your previous game, uh, the Nova Lux, as well, in this Kickstarter. And, uh, I, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. I'm looking at
3: it right yeah, now. Yeah, thank you. Yeah.
1: And it's got a solo. It's got a solo. I like it. Yeah, that.
3: we've got solo. We've got a lot of different ways to play. Um, you know, co-op, competitive, semi-co-op, solo. There's a whole AI bot that we put into Impendium. So you can uh, you can play with the AI player and yeah, it's it's very very replayable. So you know, I, I'd highly encourage anybody who's interested in space themes and sci-fi and you know the, anything apocalyptic. You know, check it out. I think it'd be up your alley.
1: I like the artwork. It's kind of got that uh, cosmic encounter on an acid trip. <laughs>
3: yep, <artwork. laughs> some crazy aliens in there. That's for sure. Did these alien...
1: Did, these, uh, the, did this artwork... Are these visions that you saw as people were trying to choke you? you see? Oh, I see. I see. No, these are drawings of your kids. Yeah. Your kids have drawn some of these aliens. Yeah,
3: some of, some of the... Uh. We're, we're a family studio, and we mean it. So, yeah, if you go on the page, there's some drawings that my son did. And we literally took those and made them into, into aliens. One of them is a frog with, you know, gunslinger frog riding a surfboard. <laughs> there's... There's a lot of uh, funky things to check out. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, Max, I appreciate awesome. you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks
1: Thanks for having me on, nice. Jerry. It's great to talk to you. Yeah.
3: And uh, I'm going to stop court here.
1: All right. So that was my interview with Max. It was nice. Max is a nice guy. I hope you enjoyed it. Enrique closes. Is he
2: nice? Do you know him personally? You don't know if he's nice. He you looked, don't know his personal life. He
1: looked nice. I stalked him on Facebook to make sure he looked nice. I would not have a, some. What do you de- mean he looks nice? I wouldn't have some dj on my, on the podcast. He was very. easy attractive. He's an attractive man. Well, does he have hair? No. He's bald. He was, but he's he's one of those like Bruce Willis sexy bald. I'm like, me. check out
2: the 3XL Sir Meeple
1: shirts for yes. board game snobs. You couldn't buy a medium, I noticed on that <laughs> website. That's very telling. I,
0: the very board telling. community
1: is made of some right, large all folks. All right,
2: all right. Let's end this.
1: Ladies, <laughs> get, oh. and all right. Shettin shettin all right,
2: ladies and gentlemen. All right. So until next time, I'm Gary.
1: This is Jerry.
0: This is a Thank you for listening to the Board Game Snobs. Stay classy.